finding a bottom sure as hell helps. You know, having a critical inflection point that you you think to yourself, man, the truth is fully out. I don't think it's hard to imagine a situation worse than the situation I'm in. I'm in a, a terrible amount of pain and discomfort. I'm creating a terrible amount of pain and discomfort. And it, I can't, it's not sustainable. You know, there's no place to go from here. And so, you know, I'm grateful to have found that. I'm grateful to have found that moment. All right, today's guest on the Gravity Podcast is my good friend, Joe DeLoss. Joe comes back to the Gravity Podcast for a second appearance and an update on his life and how things have progressed personally and professionally. It's always super interesting to me. He's a deep thinker, really passionate, human, kind, loving, great man who's very vulnerable and insightful. And I love being in conversation with Joe, which is why he's back. Joe is passionate about life and entrepreneurship, and he recently exited Hot Chicken Takeover, an impact-focused restaurant chain he founded in 2014. Not sure that he's really talked much about that publicly, so we get into that, but he's now an aspiring farmer living in Mount Vernon, Ohio, and is already cooking up some new next adventures. So we'll cover all of that and more. Uh, this week with Joe DeLoss. Enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast. And I've had a few people come back. We're here with Joe DeLoss. And it's interesting because, you know, I fell into this format of really being curious about people's lives. And that's just, you know, kind of what we do now on the podcast. But then when I bring people back, we can talk about anything, <laughs> right? And in your case, you know, a lot's happened, I think, since we last talked. And, you know, you're talking about life and mm-hmm. the beauty and the simplicity. And you're referring to life on the farm, which is not, I think, where you were. The more I think about it, we were talking about this before. I don't think you had moved yet. And so why don't you just kind of hop in and start a little bit by just giving some background on yourself, you know, people mm-hmm. can go back. We'll link to the original episode where you tell your whole life journey. But just give yourself, kind of, you know, give the audience a little context on, you know, your background before we kind of hop into where you are today and what's transpired since we last talked. I mean, I think the headline is I've spent most of my life trying to be a successful entrepreneur, you know, whatever. That means I think I'm still figuring it out. But from a really young age, as an adolescent, I was finding ways to make my own money and solve problems that I saw out there. And somewhere along the line, with some good mentorship and just some alignment for me of passion, I fell into this niche of social entrepreneurship, where For me specifically, I was actively trying to tackle the problem, some of the symptoms of poverty in our community through workforce development in for-profit business settings. And I had a handful of kind of hits and misses uh, as an entrepreneur. And then it would have been in like late 2013, I was really eager to get back to becoming an employer myself. And uh, I had this idea after a trip to Nashville to fry chicken. And I Googled out of fried chicken and bought kind of an $80 Bed Bath & Beyond fryer and turned our house, downtown Columbus, into this fried chicken shack for a little while while I tested this idea. And what it led to was what ultimately became a restaurant chain, Hot Chicken Takeover, Mm -hmm. uh, here regionally. Mm -hmm. And I did that not because I was passionate about fried chicken, but I was passionate about building this community of employees and a team of folks that had experienced a decent amount of adversity in their life and were trying to change their story and their trajectory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't remember how much we talked about this, but I'm, I'm kind of curious just to hear today the part of you or where you think it comes from that has you wanting to 
you know, make a difference in the lives mm-hmm. of other people and do that through the lens of business? It, it was really, I think, the collision of, of two things for me, which was, one was just entrepreneurship, of just being passionate about building things and creating my own income streams and, you know, just not having a boss, not mm-hmm. being employed. And I think the fear of employment and my general distaste of every employment opportunity I'd had laid out that trajectory for me, which Mm -hmm. was, I need to be on my own. Yeah. And in the second part was that volunteerism was a huge part of my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I I came up in a family that was pretty well-resourced. Both my parents, you know, graduated vocational school and went into, my mom was a beautician, My father was an auto mechanic and they, you know, well before my lifetime evolved their careers into more professional settings with higher incomes and larger resources and really instilled that, you know, one, hard work, but additionally, just a generosity of spirit and compassion for people that were trying to make it on their own. Mm-hmm. And, and so while I grew up in an environment that was super comfortable, that, you know, from the beginning was like, this is kind of responsibility. You know, mm-hmm. we've earned these resources. We're going to find ways to contribute positively to our community. And whether that was through a church or a service organization or whatever, you know, from my grandparents to my parents and uh, to my sister and I, that was just a big part of it for mm-hmm. us. And I had a mentor, right? you know, I had the privilege of going to college and had a mentor my sophomore year of college in the business program that said, there's a name for this thing, this intersection, this collision that you're interested in. It's called social entrepreneurship. And I kind of crafted the rest of my undergrad experience around just preparing myself to be this thing mm-hmm. that I, I didn't really, there wasn't a great um, archetype for yet, at least in, in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And then I, like many entrepreneurs, I just kept trying and failing yeah. <laughs> until I, I had enough wisdom and had enough access and enough opportunity mm-hmm. to do something that resonated with customers and ultimately allowed me to become an employer in a, a more meaningful way to prove this idea that creating supportive, meaningful work opportunities is a way out for folks. And, you know, I think we talked a lot about the the ups and downs and the challenges of being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and to being the founder of Hot Chicken and both personally and professionally, you know, the learning and the, you know, the ups and downs, the challenges, the growth that you experienced in starting and building and, and growing Hot Chicken. And I, I guess maybe that's a good segue for you to kind of pick up where we left off and, and explain Maybe I don't know how much you've really talked about um, where you are today mm-hmm. with with that business, and you know maybe share a little bit about kind of the this last you know piece of that journey. As a backdrop, you know I kind of hit a personal bottom in uh, around 2017, late in 2017, and so uh, the business was growing. We were kind of hometown heroes, pretty beloved. I was getting a lot of attention as an entrepreneur and mostly somebody that was effective at being out front and telling that story about what we were doing, why it was important. And that that created a huge amount of community goodwill. It also created a huge amount of kind of narcissism and pressure for me. And, you know, when I hit bottom, it was kind of a familial bottom, a, a bottom with my wife and partner a bottom in the business where we were growing faster than we could kind of muscle through it anymore. And so our culture was in a really bad spot. And and I was just in a really uncomfortable place, probably the most uncomfortable place I had been in my life, unsure of how I was going to dig my way out of this. And like many entrepreneurs, you kind of become the identity as a problem solver of the person that can fix everything and you're celebrated for it. The community romanticizes that journey and that hardship and that sacrifice. Being in that moment is so incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was there and I kind of leaned deeply into a, a personal development journey to start seeing life in a more abundant way, in a less egoic way. And, and 
I mean, we can talk about that journey and those mm-hmm. tools as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so fast forward through a lot of that personal development work, it became clear to me that I wanted more separation and space from this identity I had as the entrepreneur, as the boss, or the CEO or founder. And uh, my wife and I started kicking around this idea. One, once my wife and I were both back on the same team mm-hmm. and, and really invested in our family. And so we started kicking around this adventure of like, well, let's just go, let's go invest in kind of like a weekend plot of land that we can go and camp with our kids and get them out in nature because we're living downtown in a space that that doesn't have a lot of access or connection to the earth and, and something that I always strived for in my life. And so we're searching, we're, we're looking for fo- places, and then COVID happens and everybody's hunkering down. I get thrust into navigating a restaurant's, you know, success through at least at this point, which was the most professionally challenging moment I had experienced um, and our industry had probably experienced for most folks. And um, that all got backburnered simultaneously to life happening virtually in such a way. And so the distance I felt like I could be comfortably from work kept growing. Mm-hmm. And then what started as kind of a weekend plot of unimproved land became like, what if it was our house? What if we lived in another community or lived in a more rural setting? And the universe kind of conspires and we find this beautiful piece of property in Knox County, Ohio, um, Mount Vernon, really near Kenyon College mm-hmm. as kind of a landmark if, you're, if your listeners are local. And bought this farm, you know, bought a home, found a home we liked. It was on a beautiful piece of kind of rolling property with woods and pasture and all these things. And pretty naively just decided that was going to be our new home and I'd commute to town. And so that was a hell of a commitment and super exciting and created a lot of inertia for our family. And about a month after we moved, so this would have been three or four months after we kind of made this decision, we found this property, we got an inquiry to invest in hot chicken takeover. And um, like many entrepreneurs, you get a lot of inbound. Oftentimes it's predatory or sharky. And especially in the landscape of global pandemic, you run a restaurant, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of M&A happening. Sure. And so we, we ultimately invite these investors out, have them take a look at our business. And, and at that point, it was really casual. And we thought this is a potential strategic partner to grow the, the brand. And we knew we needed capital. And very quickly after that first visit, that was not about an investment opportunity. That was actually an ac- acquisition opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it really... For me, although I always knew that that was an opportunity for Hot Chicken Takeover and an opportunity that that as an entrepreneur I was interested in, it really materialized pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And so here I am, like, taking care of chickens, live chickens (laughs) in the morning uh, before Mm -hmm. I gun it down 62 to get home. And we start fielding this inquiry about acquiring and growing the brand. And, you know, as it's flattering as an entrepreneur to ever even be able to be at that table. Um, But I I think what was more critical to me is I I was entering another kind of round of crisis personally. Mm -hmm. Um, One of which I'm feeling really comfortable in my own skin for the first time, feeling really comfortable being aware of what my limitations are as a entrepreneur, as a business person. And I started to get really I've started to feel fearful about my capacity as an entrepreneur, as a, as a leader and a business person, and my competency about taking this brand to the next level, mm-hmm. um, which is we've started to figure out our prototype. We have a, a really dedicated work culture, and I'm really passionate about that. Um, but at some point, it becomes a game about how great can we be about picking real estate? Mm-hmm. How efficiently, quickly, affordably can we build out restaurants mm-hmm. and build a bench of team members? And, um, you know, practically, there's one of those three things that I'm interested in, mm-hmm. you know, just as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and so not only is it flattering to have a potential partner talk about acquisition or investment, 
But it starts to become a reality of like, well, if I don't find a partner like this, what's the future look like for me, for my business, for my team, Mm -hmm. and for my investors? And that whole process, I started to feel having come from a personal place of a lot of contentment at that point, I start to feel some anxiety and fear about the opportunity cost of not doing a deal, Mm -hmm. the opportunity of my team not having, you know, uh, growth opportunities. Mm-hmm. We have all these people we deeply care about on the team and their opportunities to grow income, wealth, to change the circumstance for their families is really dependent on us growing restaurants because mm-hmm. there's, only, there's only so many salaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started to really think through that and, and start to think about the implications of not mm-hmm. having a partner to grow. Or what's the cost of you finance your own mistakes as an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. And um, my mistakes were stacking up. Mm. And if I picked another piece of bad real estate or, you know, next thing you know, I'm in a position where the business is unstable and mm. I need capital under bad circumstances. And mm-hmm. I started to feel fear. Mm. And fear isn't always the best place to make decisions from that mindset of scarcity. But I started to feel really good about the growth opportunities for the business with additional leadership and more resources and better counsel and better experience. And so that deal shaped up. Ultimately, we did do a deal in uh, December of 2021. And then I helped kind of steward that transition through up to now where uh, the business continues to grow. People continue to see more opportunities. The nature of the mission and who we hired and why we hired them is still absolutely intact and is protected. And I felt an opportunity to kind of liberate myself from the operational contribution I was making to the business to to be an entrepreneur again. Mm. And so that's kind of where yeah. I'm at now. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> that There's a lot there that I want to circle back around. There's a few different pieces that feel um, like, you know, we could go pretty deep on. I'm going to just maybe pick up a little bit on kind of some of the end pieces that I heard there. Because what I'm kind of curious about, and you know, I, I kind of can relate to this in my own journey as an entrepreneur, is you know, what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of learning going on, right? There's a lot of growth and awareness that's happening. And it's interesting to me how much we can learn about ourselves about how we are being in the world, in our relationships, in our marriages, with our children, with our family and friends, with our teams, through the experience of being in business. Now, I'm pretty convinced you can get all that learning no matter where you are and what you're doing. But in our case, we've chosen business and entrepreneurship as the great teacher, right? Uh, One of them at least. And yeah, I'm just kind of struck by how much you got to learn about yourself, even though, you know, it might have been really hard at times. And I remember this, you know, from our first podcast where I really appreciate that. And I, and this was another thing I was just thinking about while you were talking that we can talk more about. I really appreciate your honesty and your self awareness and your willingness to own that and talk about it when you use words like narcissism and you talk about you know being the hero and and the identity and you know all the things that come with that you know you talk about your relationship these are things most people are not talking about certainly not people that are in the spotlight or that are considered to be like you said you know it's it's romanticized you know that that is a real thing the whole thing gets kind of um spun in a way yeah. that, you know, is a great narrative. And it's it's not, I don't think, with any bad intent. And it's not that there's not a lot of great things happening there. It's just that people are only seeing a piece of it. And, and I really appreciate you sharing kind of the fullness of that experience for you because I, I hope other people are seeing that they're not alone. Oftentimes, you know, you might be aware of some faults, some weaknesses you know, some insecurities, your ego, but you sure as hell don't want people to know that. 
right? Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, just to come back around to a question, I'm, I'm kind of curious just to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on the fact that you got to learn all of that in, in that kind of modality and, you know, maybe why you believe capitalism or entrepreneurship, social enterprise is a great tool for learning. It's a huge gift to, to just be able to get to go on this journey to begin with. It doesn't always feel like a gift. Sometimes it, it felt like a burden. But to your point, you can get pegged as the hero. You know, you're on this hero's journey. Um, you're sacrificing. It's hard for you. It's all these sleepless nights, all of these things. Um, but no part of that romance talks about all the collateral damage you're leaving in your wake mm-hmm. of, of sure, those sleepless nights where I had to show up to a restaurant or deal with a personnel issue or whatever that might be, um, or a global pandemic that I wasn't present for myself. I wasn't present for my kids. I wasn't present for my partner, you know? And that's not the romantic story, mm-hmm. you know? That's not kind of this prototypical rom-com story about the little setback that leads to this beautiful opportunity. And we just know it's not that clean. Yeah. But that's not a popular narrative to tell. Right. Um, And and so, you know, for me, I I think I'm forever grateful for the journey I got to go on and that I'm still on as an entrepreneur. And I'm, I'm really thankful for all the people that were nameless through that journey, through all of that romance and all of that storytelling, who I did harm to. Mm. You know, I did harm not not with bad intent mm-hmm. necessarily, but because they crossed paths with me as part of my journey. Oh, yeah. Where I was naive, sure. ignorant. Yeah, scared. Um, scared. Yeah. High on myself. Sure. Drunk. Whatever, yeah, whatever right. it might be. And, you know, that that's a, it's a pretty long list, unfortunately. And well, and, you know, I... I I don't really believe it's as long as you might feel like it is, yeah. but I don't want to take that away from you. I don't know, you know, but I I do think sometimes when you are as considerate and caring authentically, I mean, you don't start the business that you started because yeah. you don't really deeply care about people that you might be a little bit harder on yourself than the reality, but it's probably better to err that way, you know? Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, I fast forward to where I'm at now, my my orientation, my mindset. You know, I I think there was always kind of an intuitive truth of unconditional love and compassion. It was how I was raised, mm-hmm. how I was expected to show up in the world, mm-hmm. and and it was something that I was not tapped into. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but like it always does, the truth sets you free and the truth always comes out. Mm-hmm. And so I'm grateful that those seeds were planted, you know, mm-hmm. in me through nature and through nurture. Mm-hmm. And that now that intuitive truth is is my lived truth mm-hmm. and and the identity that I call home now. Mm-hmm. And and I wouldn't have got there without the wisdom of the experience I had, without the people that I encountered and that I was in relationship to. Mm-hmm. Um Along the way. Yeah, I want to just ask you one more thing about this and then, you know, talk about, uh, aside from business, what else you did use to be able to experience the, you know, learning and the growth that has you landing in this place that, you know, you call home. And, you know, I, I, when you say nature and nurture, you know, I, I'm of the belief that that's like a return to why you were here to begin mm-hmm. with, right? You were lucky enough to have this unconditionally loving and really wonderful role modeling. But, you know, I personally believe we're born into this world with mm-hmm. that essence and we forget it, lose sight of it. And I want to come back and talk about, you know, how you've navigated that. But one more piece on this, on the business part. You know, I've been talking a lot about this book that I'm really enjoying right now called The Courage to Be Disliked. And it really talks about kind of staying, you know, in your lane, you know, a separation of tasks is what they call it, where it's like, you can't really control how people are going to feel about you or if they're going to like you and that's not your job. And, 
it's a fine line between becoming narcissistic and also trying to care for people and sincerely want to help others, right? And it, and that can bleed into people pleasing and you know that's actually a, a selfish act, right? You just want people to like you. It's really about you. And so what I'm wondering is in the world of business, there's a certain amount of sure, I mean, if you're if you're drunk and you're screaming and yelling at people or you're, you know, abusive or, you know, just not treating people kindly, professionally, respectfully, that's, you know, that's not good behavior, right? That's probably, you know, nothing that any of us should emulate. But there are a lot of tough decisions that have to be made that might be very unpopular, that people might be mad about, that people might, mm-hmm. you, know, I, you know, that people might misconstrue. You might not mean that, but they might hear it the way that they're bringing their stuff to it. You know, that's sort of what this book is about is like, everybody's bringing their stuff to it. You might never know what that is. You got to kind of stay within yourself. And I guess I'm just curious what your thoughts are about how it's, if it's even possible to kind of thread that needle in the world of business where there are so many people and personalities and, you know, conditioning that's coming into this like messy soup of, you know, culture, right? It seems for me, it's difficult at times to actually try to lead, stand, make tough decisions, do it with a loving, you know, beautiful intention and, and still have, I guess, people be happy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm not leading a team now. At, the, at this moment, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to lead myself with as much awareness as I can and awareness of my own impulsivity and all, all of the other things that have in some ways contributed to my success and, and sometimes not through the last few years. But in kind of the, the most modern iteration of the hot chicken takeover culture that was under my leadership, you know, that I was connected to, I, I started to recognize just how much sheer will strength, force, hours, et cetera, it took to try to lead a culture that was open, transparent, full of grace, full of compassion. And I really saw that exercise as my primary responsibility as the leader of the business, which was how do you create, how do you truly just create space for everybody to have a human experience at work um, in a considerate enough way that aligns all these business outcomes and everything else you need to do day-to-day in the form to be successful. And that takes a huge amount of work and a huge amount of conversation and openness and meeting people where they're at. And it also blurs some lines of, hey, I had this expectation for you, Brett. You didn't meet it. You got to go. And I, I think as I laid kind of myself into that culture and that experience, of setting clear expectations, of offering people grace and compassion when it was needed. I ultimately got to a place where almost detaching from the outcome of decisions or from the hardship of of maybe separating somebody that wasn't aligned with the mission anymore. But because I was so confident in what we were building culturally, it made acceptance of those outcomes a little easier for me. Mm -hmm. And so... Because I knew that that leadership wasn't coming from my old sense of ego and self that was so revered and and so celebrated that I had to be in a position where I I had to be in a position where I felt like I was operating out of a sense of truth, of true intent and acceptance of the moment. And often when I had to lead to a conclusion of a tough decision, of a decision that I knew somebody would dislike, Mm -hmm. I was doing it without that consequence personally Mm -hmm. of shouldering that burden. Taking it on, yeah. Shouldering that burden is just another name for ego, right? Sure, sure. Of like, I got to step up again. You guys need me. I, 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 right, yeah. And really just not much good comes out of that. Yeah, 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 I I agree. I mean, that's kind of the journey I've been on. I was just curious to hear your take because, you know, what I've landed in is 
just, you know, being who I am in all areas of my life, you know, as much as I remember to do that, right. And embody that. And then just being at peace, you know, with what is and in the, in life, and I'm pretty convinced mm-hmm. it's in life, you know, it's not just in business that, you know, you have to find that place because the stuff is always going to be there yeah. no matter, you know, what it is. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think tactically, if I think about the business competency or leadership competency that I had to lean the most into to feel comfortable with those decisions is that, you know, the objective was all that to just desperately seek to understand Mm. Seek to understand intent, seek to understand past experience or the suffering somebody might be going mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. And also, also try to create a culture where those folks would seek to understand your perspective. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, when you do understand or you've sought to understand thoughtfully, it's a little bit more comfortable to let people off the hook sure. or to accept yourself or to accept the outcome. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was a really critical piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. But too many leaders, I think, it can fall into that authoritative trap of like, well, I guess at the end of the day, I am the boss. Mm-hmm. I, I am the owner. Right? Sure. I am the founder. Right. I can make this call. Right. Well, so, you know, let me back up with you because there's a tremendous sense of awareness. There's a lot of learning. You know, you have, you know, now been round trip with a business. And I think people can sit here and hear the the fullness of that journey, but maybe mostly here, the success of it. And I want to go back and have you unpack a little bit how you navigated the, the bottoms. And I'm not talking about in the business. Um, I'm talking about when you, when you described, you know, some personal bottoms and, you know, within the business, but just kind of generally, you know, seeing things unfold poorly or not in the way that, you know, you wanted to or felt good about. I want to have you unpack a little bit what you did. You know, how much of it was just shown to you through your own actions and those around you? And how much of it was discovered, you know, whether that be in therapy or Mm -hmm. in, you know, ceremony or other modalities? You know, maybe you could, you know, share with us a little bit about the journey of, seeing, learning, integrating, you know, growing to to be at a place that you are today where you can talk about it the way you are. Finding a bottom sure as hell helps. You know, having a critical inflection point that you you think to yourself, man, the truth is fully out. I don't think it's hard to imagine a situation worse than the situation I'm in. I'm in a, a terrible amount of pain and discomfort. I'm creating a terrible amount of pain and discomfort. And I can't, it's not sustainable. You know, there's no place to go from here. And so, you know, I'm grateful to have found that. I'm grateful to have found that moment. Mm -hmm. And really grateful for a couple people in my life that my wife in particular, that were really a catalyst for that, of crying out to say, you know, can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And and so from a, a personal bottom, for me, I might have more bottoms to come. You know, I'm not sure what wisdom I haven't learned yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, the, so immediately the modalities I leaned into were therapy and uh, meditation. Mm-hmm. And an investor of ours, a mentor, a mutual friend of ours had me tag along to a retreat that uh, essentially a mindfulness retreat. And... You know, I had been having multiple people in my life that I trusted and cared about say, you know, Joe, you got to lean into this. Like this discomfort you're feeling, all this projection you're doing, all of this entitlement you're feeling, you got to, you're going to have to understand. And meditation might be one of those tools. And I just, why would I need to meditate? I had all the answers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I had just the moment, literally a long weekend to lean into this practice as another kind of learning tool for me. And I was desperate enough to feel like I had something to learn finally because mm-hmm. I was miserable. And very quickly through that modality in particular, um, through silence, through sitting with myself, 
through taking kind of radical ownership and acceptance of what I was experiencing or thinking or hearing, my heart and my life started opening up of, like many, many others would suggest, you start to encounter life with a curiosity as the observer um, versus being identified with that character you've played for so long. Mm. And, you know, I think about just being kind of a, an 80s baby and, and you know, coming to kind of into adolescence through the era of The Matrix. And I saw The Matrix, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I started to see my code and how I was, was what kind of feelings and thoughts comprised my existence. Mm-hmm. And, and so that modality in particular was, was critically important. I, I had the privilege of having a coach Mm-hmm. and found myself in a group of men that were all entrepreneurs, that were all facing similar things in life mm-hmm. that were benefiting through that work. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like most narcissists, it was just a tool for me to advance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it, that modality in particular, it took me a couple years before I had a deep spiritual connection and truth with what I was learning through that, mm-hmm. that this was more of a divine intervention and less about this thing that I'm, I'm good at doing because I can sit on a cushion for 15 minutes every morning. Mm-hmm. And so that journey, you know, continues today and is more of a spiritual journey and a spiritual practice than it was a practical tool. But I'm grateful that, you know, it starts with an app or some practical application that I could connect mm-hmm. with. Let me just jump in there for a second because I like what you said about divine intervention, and I'm I'm curious about hearing you talk a little bit more about that. You know, before we got started, you talked a little bit about how you moved to the farm before, and you mentioned it just you know a little bit ago before the inquiry came in, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a lot of what feels like a divine intervention or perfection. You know, the universe mm-hmm. just being at work when these things show up. And I think a lot of times people will think that, you know, language like divine intervention or divine at all, you know, is so big. It's, you know, maybe falls into this woo-woo world or it gets misunderstood. And in my, what I'm hearing you say in my experience is that it's, it's, it's often a lot more simple than that. It's sort of just in the air, Right. And it's the noticing of that that, you know, can become massively transformative. Right. So, meditation, something that you can, you know, do on an app today that, you know, a lot of people are dabbling in and and a wide range of, of ways and depth. But it's not about the simple tool. Right. It's about that there was something in you that was ready to receive that tool. And it might've even been, you know, a seed that was planted a long time ago with the friend that, you know, decided to include you and whatever seed was inside of that person that had, you know, born the idea of doing these retreats. It's all seems to be so intricately woven together. And, and I think that gets lost, you know, that if, if you're not open to that, if you're not, you know, in that flow, you might just dismiss it as like, oh, it's meditation. I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. into that, you know? And so, I don't know, maybe you could just expand a little bit on, you know, the, the way that these things, you know, not just that retreat and, and that tool, but how, how people and other things that have really served you in your growth have shown up for you in that kind mm-hmm. of divine way. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you look at something like meditation and for many kind of the the gateway into meditation is, you know, here's a modality that you can learn, that you can control, that you can own, that will allow you to improve your life. It's this very prescriptive application of this competency that you can learn, again, all with this identity of me as the controller, me as the coder and the programmer that is going to find this hack to improve my life. And I mean, it started there for me. I know it starts for many. But versus being just a tool that you can master, it becomes, how do I find myself in dialogue with my higher truth, with my higher self? And to have that evolution in my own spiritual practice, my own meditation practice, to, to feel 
with more divinity, with kind of a divine interaction of, I am in this flow of life and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train, you know, this form so that I can observe, that I can, I can be along for the ride versus in control of it. And, you know, I had, I had other interventions that I think helped, helped really solidify that practice for me. But when you, when you lose the sense of I, that I manifested this destiny, you know, that I manifested these opportunities, that I pulled myself up by the, my bootstraps or whatever this kind of nonsense identity you can fall into. And you just get to say, wow, I am observing, you know, I am a character in my own movie. And I'm just getting to observe this beautiful narrative play out. And, and so when you get one of those inklings of, you know, the way my wife and I felt when we kind of came over this driveway to this home. And, and at that point, we were so discouraged with our search for a property mm. that we weren't, we weren't even going to go on this site visit on this, mm. you know, and our, our realtor said, hey, I, I, you've got about a 48-hour window. We'd love for you to come up and see it. I think it'll fit for your family. And sure enough, we crest this little gravel drive and we see the home, we see the property. And before we even stepped out of the car, my wife thought, yeah, this is mm-hmm. like shit. I guess this is the one. Mm-hmm. And it felt like one of those moments mm-hmm. that we could have, for so many reasons, taken responsibility and ownership of that outcome in our life. Mm-hmm. But we just got to be passengers on the ride that got to observe how this thing unfolded for us, mm-hmm. which I appreciate that we did work in our life that led to that moment as well. Mm-hmm. But it really felt like we were just in the flow of life, that that was truly an aligned opportunity for mm-hmm. us. And just as much as the opportunity to to grow hot chicken through a strategic partner was and mm-hmm. all of those things mm-hmm. that have unfolded. Yeah, it's really like the beautiful, messy, perfect mosaic of yeah. your life that, you know, continues to reveal itself and, you know, in a, sometimes really challenging, but ultimately beautiful way. I'm just curious to hear you say, I want to talk to you about the farm and kind of where we started, you know, with, with your experience there. And, and and also, you know, I want to hear you talk a little bit about the sequence. You know, Mm -hmm. we were, we were starting to talk about that, you know, the sequence of you moving there. And then I, I think there's something pretty important there. But, um, is there anything else you want to share? You know, I know that you are, involved in a lot of ways to navigate this journey, you know, and you've, you've talked about therapy and meditation. I know you've, you know, done some of the, the big gun plant medicines and, you know, uh, anything else that maybe, you know, you want to share that's really been uh, important in, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this time in your life. Well, the other kind of initial modality was therapy you know, marriage therapy, personal therapy. I think at one point we shared a therapist <laughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, and that just as a, a practical kind of tool. Um, one that I, I appreciate as a huge privilege to be able to afford those kind of interventions. Yes. Right. And so that was a critical piece of my puzzle as well, which gave my wife and I different tools to be partners effectively together, which gave me additional tools beyond meditation to challenge and, you know, get yelled at at times. Mm-hmm. And, and those mm-hmm. things that were critically important when your ego is so strong that you were so unaware of what all of the signs of life are telling you, mm-hmm. you know. And so that was a long journey too. And mm-hmm. that was a, a few years alongside of a meditation practice. And, mm-hmm. and there was a moment, I, I think probably two years in from that bottom. So this would have been early 2019 for me, where I started to trust myself again. I started to trust my instincts. And I started to feel a sense of kind of peace and understanding and contentment in my life that now became the basis to make decisions Mm -hmm. of this just tap into calm, even when things weren't calm around me, you know, fast forward, like six months from then, and the world shuts down and things get weird. But I was doing that from a space of peace and acceptance. And at the end of the day, a knowingness that everything will be, not everything will be okay, but just everything will be. Mm -hmm. And I get the gift of being along for the ride and learning what I need to learn. And I mean, that radically changed my experience. And I believe the experience of our business Mm -hmm. through a global pandemic. To be in a position afterwards 
to not have an acquisition out of a liquidation or a fire sale, but out of the strength of our brand, you know, mm. was a really a testament to what our team accomplished through that. And I know my leadership was a part of that. And so alongside of those two modalities and a lot of just personal familial work and presence that it took, I did lean into plant medicine opportunities and others to just deepen that practice. And, and I know this, you know, this is something we've talked a lot about offline and our own experiences. And, you know, what I, what I am afraid of is the, the novelty and the enthusiasm around plant medicine, whether it's psilocybin or uh, ayahuasca or uh, boga or, you know, you need, name it. Mm. Um, there are a lot of people that haven't started that personal development journey or inflection point that just want to jump to this shortcut, super American of us, you know, this mm. shortcut that's just easy. Mm. And it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's not safe. And, mm. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of difficulty around it. And so I'm, I'm sensitive even how I share about it because yeah. I don't want to encourage people to do it without doing a lot of the work. Yeah. And so. Yeah, we share yeah. that um, concern. And, mm-hmm. and again, I think it's um, part of the reason why I brought it up and part of the reason why I, I think it's important to talk about because in the same way that you know people will romanticize you know the other parts of that journey they will do the same thing with any modality but with plant medicines you're talking about ones that you know like you said can be quite dangerous if not properly carefully gently worked with and more importantly integrated mm-hmm. you know i i love the fact that you started with talking about your meditation and then went to your therapy because I believe if you don't have those daily practices, those fundamental basics to integrate anything, whatever your, your deep dive, you know, ecstatic experiences of choice, it's just going to be a a short term high at best. Right. And at worst, you know, it could really fuck you up, you know? (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, like you also have been incredible teachers and I have, you know, such gratitude for those medicines. You know, it has been so beneficial for me, but, you know, got to be super careful and got to do the work every day, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, more importantly. I've been in ceremony with people that were looking for the shortcut Mm -hmm. and it's, it's one hard to watch. Mm-hmm. And it's also really in the absence of readiness and preparedness. It also can be a really terrible, scary unlock for folks yeah. where sometimes you're not prepared to see um, what you're going to see. Yeah. And, you know, you think, you think a lot about the types of traumas people experience in life that lead to, you know, personality disorders, self-harm, all, all of these things. And, and for many of us, our ego is the self-preservation mechanism that keeps us safe from those really harmful memories. And I'm grateful to have had an existence in the world that hasn't left so many traumatic imprints on me that I, I couldn't recover from. And so I, I think what people forget is that your body preserved you from those things. Your wisdom, nature, preserved you from some of those memories and so you really have to be prepared and have the effective tools and integration and facilitation so that when you confront something that your body has ignored mm-hmm. um, or preserved you from for years, mm-hmm. you got to be ready with the resource in the toolbox to, to handle it. And I, I have witnessed people that haven't had that readiness and opted for the shortcut. Mm-hmm. And you get to experience the pain and, and the trauma in a real way then. And that can be difficult, if not catastrophic. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I definitely, even though I'm open about that journey and how uh, plant medicine has been one of those tools I've used, mm-hmm. I'm really grateful that tool came into my life after I had done a lot of the heavy work mm-hmm. in, you know, frankly, a sober way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I agree. Also feels like the you know, divine perfection and all of that, right? That Mm -hmm. it kind of came to you in that order. And um, let's talk about then another 
maybe the most, I don't know, it's not probably fair to try to rank them, but the modality that seems to really be, you know, really shifting your life in all kinds of ways now is nature and being, you know, on this farm and having that life. And so I'm curious about, you know, kind of what else you're you know, shifting into and up to. We'll talk about that, but talk about, you know, the decision to move you talked a little bit about you know the pandemic and its influence and but you take a jump that not many people are willing to take especially with young kids where you got to think about schools and all the stuff right you guys take this jump and, and you know it, it sounds like you know not only did then there be some space that got created you know physically and energetically to allow for something like this offer to come in Right. And then, you know, this offer comes in and, and that creates now a whole massive expansion of space for you to really be in the world in a different way. And it just feels all super connected. And I'd like to just, you know, hear your experience of, of that shift, you know, from literally to, to the farm. Mm-hmm. Well, like everything in nature, there's just seasons, I think, to our lives. And I, you know, the season I was in of, of building and growing the business, you know, every opportunity I, I got, I expressed a tremendous amount of energy to try to get our family outside or get myself outside, whether it was on a mountain bike or a backpacking trip or a trail run or, you know, whatever it was. And when you're living in the city um, and in, in central Ohio in particular, that was finding to to get yourself into kind of unbridled nature with with privacy and space out and out in nature was a 30 to 60 minute exercise each direction and i found myself just spending a lot of energy trying to tap in to nature and the intuition that i i think you can gather from nature and and so i i think for me the season switched where i thought you know what if we express that energy when we want to be back dialed in into the urban environment and the density and, and the city and versus the, the kind of privacy and openness that otherwise came. And so I, I think my wife, Lisa, and I just got tired of having to work so hard for it. She's inherently an introvert and generally fills her cup by herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and living the life we were living in, in Columbus, that was also always at odds. Mm-hmm. And so she, probably less so inspired by nature, but more so inspired by the space and the personal opportunity, um, was equally compelled by it. And as a couple, thankfully, those, you know, those patterns aligned. Mm-hmm. And so when we made the jump, I don't think we realized kind of the abundance that that space would create for us mm-hmm. of... For me, coming through a huge professional transition where I was ultimately the primary decision maker whose every decision, you know, rested on my shoulders one way or another, to solving these complex, like, multi-year problems that we were looking at of, you know, signing a 10-year lease somewhere, these long time horizons to get to shift to a work output at times of, oh, we had a couple trees go down in that storm and mm-hmm. they're blocking our trail mm-hmm. or they're blocking our driveway, whatever it might be. So it's, I'm going to wake up this morning and I'm going to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this day or the end of this two-hour project or four-hour project or 15-hour project, um, I'll be on to the next problem. Mm-hmm. And so there's something really rewarding to me, I think, of allowing the earth and nature to dictate some of your workflow. Mm-hmm. And to have that kind of shot of adrenaline or acknowledgement of I, I observed a problem and I solved a problem mm-hmm. all, all before I ate lunch. And so I, I think for me professionally, being in that season was, was really rewarding in a way that I didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. And out of it, you know, a lot of other ideas are being born mm-hmm. that is really, really fulfilling. We'll talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk yeah. about that. Because, you know, I, what I'm curious about is I'm, I'm hearing the beauty and the simplicity of problem solving on the farm and in nature. And um, I could see how that could be really simply fulfilling. It might have its own version of, you know, complexity, but like 
in reality, sort of one with the earth and, you know, solving those kinds of problems, which, you know, feel like an entirely different flavor of problem solving. And I could see how, and I've, you know, you see that, you know, people just choose to do that for life. And, Mm -hmm. and I think there's a compelling argument for that. But I get the sense that's not what you are going to be doing for life, or at least not the only thing that you're going to be doing. And so I'm kind of curious to have you expand a little bit on, you know, where you are with wanting to continue to be in business Mm -hmm. and, you know, how you might do that with the benefit of the experience that you've had and, and why. So one, I'm unsure what path I'm on. You know, I I think I, I, I recognize the opportunity I've been given some of the abundance I'm experiencing in nature and life as a family. And I get to be along for the ride for a little bit. You know, I have um, have given myself a little runway to just explore and experience life and, and see what bubbles up. And, you know, I, I absolutely will be back in business. I'm already back in business in a lot of ways. And a lot of it for me comes from you know, I miss being in a community of people and on a team. And, and so I'm thankful to have access to a lot of great people and a lot of entrepreneurs that have presented me with opportunities and have presented things for me to consider to be involved with. And so, you know, like very cautiously, I'm kind of dipping my toes in the water and, and thankfully have found myself to be a really engaged advisor and partner to other operators that are out in the business world where I can share some of the wisdom I've gained, some of the lessons I've been kind of lucky enough to learn and get to tackle some new problems with other people. And, and, and what I have found, and, and I think you've experienced this in, in business as well, especially in the early days, sometimes it's just really helpful to have a kind of another grown-up in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, most entrepreneurs surround themselves with just crazy passionate people that are just willing to grind and willing to mm-hmm. buy into that romance story. And every once in a while, you'll cross paths with a mentor, an investor, or a friend that shares some wisdom with you or helps you through a decision that just creates a lot of relief mm-hmm. and a lot of peace of mind. And so I'm eager to step into that role when mm-hmm. it's applicable. And so I've got a couple small businesses that I'm supporting and, uh, and really enjoying that, really enjoying supporting other people that are driving and operating versus being in that seat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, slowly but surely, I think as my cup continues to fill, I, I am excited to, to be an operator again. Mm. And just as much as thought it wouldn't be a huge part of my life or I was going to take a longer break from it, um, as one of our our former investors said, you know, if you've got ketchup in your veins, you got ketchup in your veins, you're mm. going to be in hospitality. Mm-hmm. And, and I keep finding myself coming back to hospitality ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I brought you a whole bunch of donuts today uh, that, yeah. <laughs> that I fried wow. this morning. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a business there. <laughs> if that's if you want to make that a business, uh, you've got a product that it would <laughs> that would sell. I'll probably keep you in business by myself. Those were tasty. You know what? What I am relating to is that there's a certain real pleasure in being in relationship with people that, you know, share a, a passion or an interest or a goal, you know, and, and I have found just how important that is, especially just in navigating work and life. It's why I've really appreciated uh, you as a friend and, you know, others that, you know, you can really talk about anything with and can speak a common language. I get your battle wounds, your, you know, mm-hmm. entrepreneurial traumas and your struggles with, you know, ego and and validation and praise and identity and, you know, all of it, right? And um, there's something really nice about being in relationship, you know, having that shared experience. And, you know, I think that's part of what you get by, you know, being in that world in any capacity as an advisor, as an investor, as an operator, it's all there. I, and, you know, I, I think it's great. Like I like the ketchup in your veins thing. I think outside of hospitality, if you've got the energy, the juice to kind of keep doing it, you, you got to use it. 
you know, because it's going to nag at you. It's going to bother you. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to be an entrepreneur to the day you die. It just means that, like, you still got some left, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, embrace it, use it, enjoy it. And I'm sure that, you know, that's what you're going to do, what you're doing. And I think the expression of entrepreneurship as problem solving, you know, when I think, especially as a father, when I think about the volatility that I feel in the world right now or in the community or the experience we're all collectively having, as a dad, if I think about what do I want to impart in my children, you know, or what do I want to nurture that's already there is probably more the case. Mm-hmm. It's that I, I want I have two young daughters and I want them to grow up with a sense of agency and sovereignty in contributing to improving the world and the community in positive ways through problem solving. And I think entrepreneurship is this one kind of generalist pursuit that allows you, you know, that level of contribution. And so living out on a farm and homeschooling our kids, you know, and my contribution to about the 10% of their education that my wife isn't like innovating and leading is around entrepreneurship. And Mm -hmm. so I've got a seven and nine-year-old that have their own little micro businesses and I get to be in relationship to them as they Mm -hmm. find ways to make their own money and solve a problem, Mm. you know? And so, you know, I think increasingly as a family, we're getting really passionate about how do we hold space for other families to learn some of those lessons Mm. and express themselves in those ways. And so I I don't know how that manifests, but when I think about, you know, tying back to all those modalities of learning that I had to go through from a personal development perspective, you know, what we hope is that you know, we can find a way now to lean on that level of observation and awareness to just see how this might manifest itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we have property and space. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of passion and enthusiasm, a a little bit more time than we used to. Mm -hmm. And so I'm on for that ride too, to maybe see what the yield is of, Mm -hmm. you know, ways that we can do that. And, Mm -hmm. And I love entrepreneurs. And, you know, I have a lot of entrepreneurs coming up to the farm to cut wood and Mm -hmm. dig ditches and uh, learn together. And and that's really refreshing too. That's awesome. Well, one thing I was just thinking, I have a friend who started this company called Gravy Stack, which is, I I think, I don't know if it's actually launched. They were in beta and I think they might be out there now, but it was, it's a, it's an app that gamifies financial literacy for children. And it teaches kids how to save money, invest money, you know, and it's all done through games. Like their most popular game is something to do with canceling subscriptions. And they're like getting the average family to save $400 a month because like the goblin comes and gets you if, you know, your subscription's not active, is active and you're not using. Anyway, so you might check that out. Gravy Stack, yeah. (laughs) Scott Donald, he was on the podcast too. And um and uh, a couple of my strategic coach friends. So think about that for homeschooling. It could be super (laughs) fun. And uh, yeah, just share any final thoughts. It's been great to have you back on. And I really am, again, appreciative of your sharing and really talking about the journey and the parts that maybe people don't know and don't get to see and that I know many people are experiencing. I think it's of great value. I think that if you never did anything entrepreneurial again, um, just sharing your experience is, is super impactful and you could make a, you know, a life out of just doing that and supporting other people. And I know you're doing both. So I thank you for that. Thanks for taking the time and thanks for uh, being a good friend, but I'll turn the mic over to you for any final thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I think back where we started, there's so much romance and enthusiasm that's put around the sacrifice of leadership, the sacrifice of entrepreneurship. And it's so easy to opt into that. You know, it's so easy to believe and kind of get drunk off your own Kool-Aid, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so if I could encourage anybody, if anything, to learn from a little bit of this conversation, it's just about building the tools, whatever that might be, to just listen a little bit more. Mm. And I I think to get yourself outside of your business and that vertical you're in, because everybody there is also, your name's on their paycheck. And so it's really important to 
just create the space so that you can listen and observe and open yourself up to where life might take you a little bit more. And I'm thankful that I've had a lot of those teachers along the way and that I've fostered a little bit of an ability that I'm still trying to grow to listen and just be the water, not the waves of life. And all too often we identify with those ups and downs and get celebrated in the news because of it um, mm -hmm. one way or another, mm -hmm. maybe not always celebrated. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, just encourage people to be the water, not the waves and start building some tools so that they can listen and observe. And it's a hell of a lot nicer mm -hmm. and it's a, a lot more pleasant to be in this space than the alternative. I like that. Be the water, not the wave. <laughs> All right, Joe. Thank you. Thanks thank again. You so I really much, appreciate Brett. it. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.